From MattCast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, you're listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruden. On today's episode, we have Eric Turner with JLL, Trevor Dreyer with Mirador. Did I say it right? You said it right. Awesome. <laughs> I thought I was going to mess it up, but that's all right. Well, hey, gents, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having us. So, you know, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about is Portland, the, you know, the tech industry, what's going on here, its effect on just a real estate market and, you know, commercial space. So I, I like to start, though, if each of you can just give a little overview, you know, who you are, your roles and, and what you do. So we'll start with you, Eric. Okay, thanks. I'm Eric Turner, native Oregonian. Moved to Portland in 2006 from Eugene, uh, and I've spent the last 14 years uh, advising technology companies on real estate matters. Worked at three other three companies total: a boutique local firm, a privately owned uh, mid-sized regional firm, and then now a publicly traded global firm, JLL. That's where I work now. Awesome, Trevor. I'd love to learn about your company. Yeah, Trevor Dreyer. Most recently, uh, co-founder and CEO of Mirador, where a small business lending platform that helps uh, banks and credit unions do more efficient small business lending with a really good customer experience. And by giving them those tools, they're able to get more capital out to small businesses who need it. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to learn more about that. But you were talking before we recorded. You're one of those that moved up from the Bay Area, right? I am one of those. <laughs> yes, yes. Nothing wrong with that. I'm one of those. I learned very quickly on to say that, well, but my wife's in Oregon. <laughs> you got to kind of made it okay yeah, with, uh, you know, cocktail how long, parties. How long has it been since you moved uh, up? We moved up seven years ago okay. from the Bay Area. You're getting close to becoming yeah. called a Portlander. Not uh, quite there yet. <laughs> That's who you talk to. Right. So yeah. you're moving into a new office, as mentioned. So that will be in a, a few months. But so Eric, you've been in this industry for a long time. You've been up here for a while. Give us just a little bit of like, you know, state, state of the market. What's going on? as far as like, you know, the tech industry and uh, where we're at and and spaces and stuff. Yeah, so tech industry, I know Trevor can talk to better than I could, but I have seen and lived through some of the changes in Portland relating to tech because tech has driven our uh, industry significantly. I do have some stats on that. I believe it's, uh, let's check here, 27% of all leasing done um, last year was done by technology companies. And um, that's a total of about 800,000 square feet. So translating that into jobs, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 jobs mm. of new uh, new jobs to the market due to technology companies. So I think that's new. We also had record levels of venture money come into the market last year. Mm. Uh, some of the big headlines would be, you know, Vacasa, of course, coming in with a $300 plus million funding round. I think the total last year, again, was uh, in the neighborhood of 800 million. 884 million last year. So what that translates to for us in our world is that you have to accommodate for uh, those sizes of companies, which it did not used to be that size. Uh, We didn't have the scale. We didn't have the critical mass. We didn't have really the the inventory either to to support that type Mm -hmm. of business. I do remember in 2015, we were representing Smarsh and JAMA, and both of those companies had been doing well, been growing, been hiring rapidly but couldn't find space for uh, the size of company that they were. Hmm. So both of them had to go into unique spaces. Jama went, uh, they converted an old Bally's 
into oh, office really? space. Yeah, they're on Second and Taylor. No, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like, that was something. It was. So, okay. It was an old gym. Yeah, and it was a re, it was a uh, adaptive reuse. And the reason why it had to be redone is because they we, they couldn't find space of that size. How long which, ago was that? That was 2015. 15. And then okay. Smarsh, same thing. They needed uh, 60,000 square feet, and for a tech company to lease 60,000 feet, it was just it wasn't there. I mean, we had a lot of old traditional Class A type buildings. They ended up going into the um, Building right by Pioneer Square, and um, that was kind of an odd thing at the time. Uh, most of the tech companies we were working with were not looking for Class A traditional space, and, and but they had to take it because that's what was there. Yeah. Fast forward to today, it's a totally different market. So how does that change like what you do? I mean, I assume you've been in the industry for a while. You didn't initially start working with tech companies, and you've had to kind of... I guess, figure out like what they want and, and help guide them through that. So what, what are they looking for? I like to ask this a lot. What are they looking for now in spaces? And what are some of the things like, even with Trevor, you're moving to this new office that you're, you're doing to, you know, implement it for their, their teams and things. I'm just curious. Yeah. Layout or anything. So, I mean, the layout's totally changed. You look, we're in our office, you see an open plan. Nobody has private offices, lots of meeting space. We say a lot of we space, not a lot of I space <laughs> and um, a reduced footprint for per, per person uh, with a focus on community gatherings and places to go that are different types of spaces to work. That's, yeah. that's the trend, but that's not just for tech. That's kind of across the board. Mm. But for tech, tech is extremely difficult because you've got as Trevor can talk to more, uh, short runways for visibility of growth. You've got major events that can send you in different sort of <laughs> vectors of of decision making. And, and to try to solve for that in an incredibly rigid business is it's exciting. Yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's 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 really fun doing and working with technology companies because they're so volatile. And I shouldn't say if that's the wrong word, but they're very. They have very. Uh, yeah, they're just unique. Uh, with the growth of, right? circumstances yeah, to, to, to solve for. We all like to think we're a unique snowflake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and you are from the uh, what people are building for. I mean, again, if you look at the, the construction market and what they're trying to solve for, they're trying to solve for tech. But what they're trying to solve for is Microsoft credit tech, mm. which does not exist in Portland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a bunch of homegrown, venture-backed, great companies, not profitable, not, I mean, primarily most the mm-hmm. venture companies aren't by design and um, aren't, you know, Microsoft credit. So you've got a bit of a rub on that. Well, Trevor, let's talk about uh, your company, but now as you're moving the space, we'll get into like what, you know, off what Eric was saying. So uh, tell me about the growth of your company. I guess when we started and kind of where you're at in the life cycle of uh, the stage. And Eric kind of highlighted, I think one of the challenges of a startup is, you know, two quarters out is kind of long-term planning <laughs> when you're a really small company. And so the idea of a, you know, five or seven year lease and being able to predict your headcount growth over that time is just impossible. And that's one of the things I think has been really nice in working with JLLs. They work with so many tech companies around town. It's almost like they, they can see the whole chessboard. So if you're one company, you, you don't really know what to do. And they know that this company is going to need to be moving out of here. So you could sublease their space and they can help kind of move the pieces around to get you in the right size space for your growth. Cause you don't want to take 
too much space and it just feels really empty and then you're burning cash unnecessarily. But you also don't want to be like moving every six months or a year because it's really disruptive for employees. Um, So that's kind of a challenge. And so, you know, for us, we started off um, the first office space we have is, I think, a thousand square feet. And it literally we moved in where there was no furniture and it looked like, you know, was that movie a boiler room where they (laughs) cleared out before the FBI (laughs) raids? How many people were Uh, there were six of us? Yeah. And it was literally just like phones on the floor and car tables. And if any of our banking clients had shown up there, they would have never done business with us. I think this is like some scam. Um, and now, you know, the new office space we're moving into um, is designed comfortably for 85 and can we think we can probably get 100 in there. So that part has been kind of interesting. The other thing I'd comment on is Eric talked about the new open plan. Uh, we worked a lot with Eric and his team kind of doing well, focus groups with different groups we had inside our company as we were planning out this new space that we were building out from scratch. And there's a lot of kind of, I think, um, backlash is maybe a little strong, but pushback on the kind of open space now. From? From employees. From employees. That, uh, you know, it's great from kind of a dollars and cents perspective that you're being much more efficient with your space. You can fit more people in a smaller space. Uh, no one really wants to go back to offices, but they need more kind of privacy and those are a couple of things that came across very strongly that and no one wants to be sitting at a desk all day. So we designed our office space with everybody has kind of a desk area they can be at. But then there's a lot of just soft seating, little breakout rooms, huddle rooms, individual phone rooms and just game rooms needing a lot of just a lot of flex, flex working space. Well, I love that. that. I think to your point about no one want, even they have a dedicated desk, no one wants to be there the right. whole time. So these other options. So that's cool that you work with Eric to design yeah. that. Interesting. What else? What are some of the other trends you're seeing with your peer? I, mean, I assume you're part of like maybe like TAO or just out there right. meeting other founders. What are you hearing from them just about as they're growing and looking for spaces and just, you know, their talent, what they want? I mean, I'm interested to hear what people's challenges are with that for as tech far companies. as the physical space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of a one way ratchet that you're seeing as buildings kind of upgrade their facilities and services, everybody kind of expects that. And so it, I think when we took our first space, the question was, you know, oh, is there bike storage? It'd be really nice if there's bike storage, but employees weren't gonna, you know, not come and work for you because you didn't have bike storage. Now, if you don't have it, we've literally had people interview and say, like, oh, well, I need a place to park my bike. Is the new building gonna have bike storage? If not, there's no way I'm not gonna work there. Really? Because I'm a bike commuter and what am I gonna do with my bike? And the same thing with a lot of the buildings now are putting gyms in and that's becoming kind of an expectation. And you're hearing employees say things like, oh, is there a gym in the building? Oh, if not, well, do you provide gym membership then? And you know, just these things are kind of a one-way ratchet. Even um, for a company your size? Even for a smaller company, yeah. Hmm. That's kind of become more of an expectation. We're all around the same age. We were talking. So these things when we were coming up, yeah. we're not on we're the never, table. We're never right? on the table. Never on the right. table. Yeah. And, you know, and just I think also it's becoming much more expected that you have kind of a full, well-stocked kitchen with beer or kombucha or something like that on tap. And you need to have game rooms. Mm-hmm. And all of that is kind of really coming up from thanks, you know, Google and Apple and the big tech companies in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. but it's all kind of migrating northward as well. And, yeah. and I think it makes a difference in recruiting. Interesting. Yeah. Eric, I'm always like that. I live in the suburbs. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, obviously a lot of, com- you're probably working a lot of companies one office downtown for town and things, but there is a contingent, especially on the west side of some tech companies out yeah. there, yeah. right? And what, like, I live in Tiger, but the city of Beaverton is really proactive about getting some of these companies there. Do you work with companies in the burbs or what, mm-hmm. what's your thoughts just on that? The vast majority of 
software companies work downtown. There are some that are in the suburbs. So you've got like Navex Global is one, Vesta, RFPIO. Those are software companies, but they, they have a different demographic of employees. And again, it's all driven by employees. So they're going to have a harder time attracting uh, folks that demand a bike storage to, to because they commute by bike, right? But they probably aren't hiring for that. And so they have a different uh, demographic of who they're hiring. The suburbs are also home to some of the hardware manufacturers, which uh, right. are clearly Intel and, and mm-hmm. formerly, you know, Tektronix, but, but primarily the software companies, you'll find them downtown. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just happen to see they're accommodating a lot out there for people who do live out there, just flex mm-hmm. spaces and things. So I'm curious to see if that grows as Portland gets more expensive, but yeah. Yeah. More expensive. And there's also, I think, you know, um, there's a certain demographic that probably prefer to be in the suburbs as well. Yeah, I got two young kids, so I mean, <laughs> that's yeah, exactly yeah. it, right? And this, so then you don't want to have a long commute in into Portland. Right. Well, let's talk about the talent piece. I mean, we're touching on it, like what the people want and things. Uh, as you've moved up here, and Trevor, and you're looking, you know, hiring. Uh, is it harder for you to compete with talent now that we do have this rise of a lot of tech companies here? Or I mean, yeah, I think the market's getting tighter, especially as we've seen some of the big tech companies, um, like, you know, Google and some of those building a new office, building a new office. And, you know, now they're starting to hire outside of customer support. It felt like when I first moved up here, if there was a big Bay area company that had an office here, it was really all support. Um, and now they're starting to hire engineers and they're hiring designers and product folks. And so the market is getting a lot tighter, I think as well. Um, it's, it's a great thing for employees, but we've certainly seen that it's harder to attract and then also retain talent. Mm. Uh, when I was first here, the, I think kind of tenure, average tenure at startups was significantly higher than the Bay Area. I think right now, I remember reading some statistics that um, people typically stay a year and change at startups in the Bay Area. Wow. They, bounce, they hit their kind of first slug of equity vesting and then they bounce to the next one. Um, and I saw even the big companies, the longest average tenure employees, I think was Facebook and it was just over two years. Uh, so there's a little of that. We're starting to see if your people willing to move more, little less loyalty, but I still think it's a lot easier to hire great talent here than it is in the Bay area. Okay. That's in, that statistic blows me away. Yeah. It's, a year and a I mean, it's crazy. Cause by, especially if you're thinking of an engineering role, by the time that they learn the code that they're working in stuff is a few months to ramp up. And then you've got maybe, you know, eight, nine months and then they're on to the next job. That's going to make your job harder, Eric, when you're helping these companies, right? Or well, you, I mean, you know, the stats, so you know, the trend and maybe you can design, help them pick the spaces that work. Like yeah. That. And I, what I'd also say too is this last year, we've seen more out of state executives move to Portland than I've seen in my career. I think that's a significant piece of it too. We, we have reached a critical mass, in my opinion, with companies that are, whether they're headquartered here, whether they're out of state and growing like the Googles or others, whether they're startups or, um, or what have you, you've have, you have people now relocating their whole families here, which is significant, where in the past it's been harder, I think, to hire executives from out of state, and Trevor could speak to that more, but in at least my view of it, this year, uh, you know, we have CrowdStreet with a new CFO, Cone with a new CRO, you know, Ruby with a new CEO, ShareID with a new CFO, Stackery with a you know, new CFO. These are people, Vicasa with a new CTO and CFO. These are all people from out of town that have migrated into Portland, and that is new. And I think it's uh, due to a lot of reasons, but the big reason is that after you're done with whatever 
that job is, whether it's a year or two years, like Trevor was saying, then there's something else to go to without right. relocating your whole family. That, I mean, that's important because that wasn't here before. I, mean, right, I don't right? think it was. Yeah. And so folks would just be like, you know, thanks for the memories <laughs> going back to the Bay Area, but right. there's more here. And that's really welcome. I think we've always had a dearth of really high quality executives, frankly, because a lot of them would move out of Oregon for job opportunities elsewhere. And there was, as Eric said, that reluctance to relocate a family. So I think that's really welcome. There's always been, I think, really good, you know, kind of engineering talent here, design talent, um, customer support talent, but finding those kind of, you know, CFOs, COOs, head of sales, that kind of stuff right. has been tough. Well, I mean, you mentioned, Eric, like last year was the highest year for capital. We've one of the highest, one yeah. of the highest. Yeah. So, I don't know where you're at in the fund. Have you raised like a seed, Series A, or where we you're raised at? a few rounds? And we actually just sold the company in December of 2018 okay. to a large insurer in the Midwest. So we're okay. we're done with the fundraising. Oh, you're done. Okay, so <laughs> we sold. We're we're we've exited. And when yeah. you raised all the money, you were here in Portland when you did Correct. that, right? And so, how was that process here before these statistics hit? Like, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how difficult that was, or maybe it wasn't. I mean, to be honest, that we raised pretty much all our money from out of the state, okay. uh, New York and the Bay Area. Um, I mean, Oregon Venture Fund, uh, I think does a really good job with seed and kind of series A um, financings here. But you know, it's it's one firm um, and you, know, you kind of get beyond that, you do really have to find your money elsewhere, right. kind of a series B and, and on. Uh, that's one thing that I think honestly there is probably room for is um, particularly that post series A funding. I think there's a gap in the Portland market. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of these other, what I call second tier technology markets like Denver, uh, Salt Lake, Austin, they usually have at least kind of one firm that's okay. able to kind of take it beyond the series, series A. And that coupled with Oregon Venture Fund, I think could really help accelerate growth in startups here. Yeah, and one thing I'd add to that though, is that the, um, the growth, the sheer growth of companies post-funding, whether it's from out-of-state or in-state, has been local, which is a good thing as well. Like mm -hmm. I, I, We were talking earlier about the uh, venture fund that's out of San Francisco that said, well, if we give you money, you have to come here. Right. right. I don't, I don't mm. think that's as, as present as it was yeah. in the past. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I, I agree with that. I think when we were raising our first round of capital, there were a lot of, particularly the Bay Area VCs that said, you really like the company, would you be willing to relocate it to the Bay Area? We said, no, and they said, okay, well, great. And then kind of raising subsequent rounds, they were very interested in talking to us. I think that as the Bay Area VC market has gotten really hot or kind of over hot, there are a lot of firms that are realizing there are great technology companies anywhere. There's you know, diminishing returns to necessarily being located in the Bay Area. Sure, their network effects, but also downsides that right. we kind of talked about as well, and they're more willing to invest elsewhere. And do you yeah. see like someone like yourself, maybe you've uh, done an exit, invest, like getting into the investing community here and seeing your peers doing that? Yeah, you know, I've been dabbling as kind of part of Oregon Venture Fund, um, which has been fun. And uh, talking with a couple other, um, you know, founders that have exited their companies, we've probably half a dozen times now I've been talking about, feels like there's still a little bit of a funding gap. Is there a way that we could kind of meet that? So cool. who, who knows? I'm still kind of in the yeah. mode of transitioning things over um, after the sale and sure. take a little time off, but who knows what the future will bring. Well, I love that. And I think that is something about Portland I've heard just talking to people like yourself, peers want to do that I founded companies. Yeah. Maybe gone through an exit or laughed. So that's exciting. It's really you want to stay here. You yeah, we want to stay here. Yeah. Absolutely. We'd, we'd want to stay here. And I think most people do, even those that move from outside. Mm -hmm. It's a great place to be. And it's a great community. And it's a really, I think, tight knit and kind of collaborative 
tech community here. Yeah, and there are there are a handful of exit found founders who have exited yeah. and started over and, and started yeah. the next thing and right. grown the next thing and or started a, a, a fund or invested in a fund and had you know reinvested in the community which is a again part of that critical mass it's all it's not just out-of-state funding it's also wealth creation here and right. reinvesting back in the community this sort of support network that comes with the ecosystem that portland has which is unique i, I don't you know i haven't been around the world and been um, to other markets. But what I've heard is that we have a very unique ecosystem in the technology space. Yeah, I guess that gets to my next question. Like, what's next for Portland in regards to, you know, tech, just business in general or, or growth? I'll start with you, Eric, because you have a pulse on a lot of it. Yeah, so we all have to prepare for, you know, the dip, which, you know, of course, will come at some point. My my outlook on Portland is bullish. I'm very bullish on Portland. And the reason is because of the livability, like we had talked about the the fact that we're on the West Coast, which is a, a great place to be. We're in between our neighbors to the North and the South, which, you know, we are a recipient of that um, kind of overheating. Like Trevor said, I think that there's a ton of room for Portland to continue to solidify its spot in uh, on the sort of national stage and, and global stage. We have our challenges, of course, but I'm I'm bullish on Portland, and I and primarily because of technology. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the kind of companies that are here and the growth that we've seen, um, you know, the, the cranes that we all look at out the windows are are here because of the technology growth that we've seen, mm-hmm. and because of the employees, the technology, you know, companies employ and what they're demanding, the what we call amenities war. Um, in terms of like, you know, do you Amenities have, war. Do you, I like that. Do you, do you have a sauna in your building? Because I do. Yeah, let's get to that point. <laughs> But uh, from a sort of value perspective on the commercial real estate stage, we're, we have been a very good value relative to our neighbors. And the, um, the spotlight is on us from an investment standpoint. Mm. And it goes for the company side, investment in companies, like Trevor said, as well as investment in real estate. What do you think, Trevor? Yeah, I think that I've always been a little bit puzzled with being so proximate to Seattle and San Francisco, why Portland is not kind of the clear leader in those second tier technology markets. And it does feel like it, it's close to kind of breaking out there, mm-hmm. uh, that you get a lot of people who do want to live here. And I think, as Eric mentioned before, founders who exit and then start other companies or kind of reinvest. And that's how you get that flywheel going. And we haven't really had that so much in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think we're starting to see that now with, you know, kind of some pretty high profile exits and a lot of those founders starting second companies. Um, and the other thing I think it's interesting is we're starting to develop a little um, kind of cluster around fintech, which is right. weird in the way it sense it should be New York and New York does have a big fintech cluster. But why we've is got, that? You know, it's that's the same thing as the flywheel, right? Yeah. That's kind of started. You get people who leave, um, you know, left Gift Tango and are now started Bumped and people who leave Simple and you know, it's just kind of starts spinning out. But we've got a whole bunch of payments companies and fintech companies way more um, than I think we would you'd expect just based on the percentage fintech is of total tech. Yeah. Let's talk about a couple of the challenges. I mean, a lot of folks know Portland is one of the like least diverse major cities. So how has that been a challenge and what do you, to get talent here and folks to stay here that are, you know, diverse leaders and, and founders? I'm curious, Eric, have, have you, you know, thoughts of working in the market and, and things companies are doing or? I mean, diversity is, 
top of everybody's mind. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. Everybody knows it's important. It's proven to be important. It's proven to, I mean, have better metrics across the board. Right. Um, we have demographic challenges in Portland. I mean, just the sheer demographics of who lives here is a little different than other places. Uh, I think there's a lot of room to, to grow on that certainly and to improve on it. Uh, every technology company as they should be is thinking about it. I think if my view of the Portland sort of technology scene in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion is, is better than our neighbors and our, you know, I think the competitive set, certainly not, um, the best. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I'm in the real estate business and we certainly aren't the best either. I'm proud to say JLL is a leader in our space in uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. We drive several initiatives nationally as well as locally to make sure that that's part of the conversation. And um, I think it's a big, I think it's a big opportunity for all of us. Yeah. And Trevor, did you see just like hiring folks? Was that a challenge in the early days to get, you know, diverse talent from other cities to move here? Or? Well, um, usually in the early days, you're not paying for relocation. Yeah. And so you're yeah. a little more limited um, in being able to bring people in. So you're kind of drafting off of the bigger companies uh, who are you know, working to try to have a more diverse workforce. And so, hey, we're all for like the diversity, equity, inclusion stuff that Nike and Intel and these bigger companies are doing because they bring people in mm -hmm. that then smaller companies can kind of hire. As you get bigger and you maybe are starting to look to relocate, I mean, it frankly, it, it is an issue. It's a very white state. And so a lot of people of color are kind of wonder if they're going to be able to, you know, make a home here and have a place where they feel comfortable. I think the other thing, though, that we can't really let ourselves off the hook on is uh, there certainly is a... Um, I term it kind of an issue in tech uh, with um, women in engineering. And I think we don't do enough um, at our universities and even it's down into high school um, to get women exposed to computer science. And so the problem is you get to university and you see a lot of people who have been programming for a long time and they're in the same entry class. And there's a lot more that we could be doing um, at an early stage to get more women and people of color mm -hmm. interested in uh, engineering jobs. Yeah. Th those um, are some of the hardest hires to make are diverse engineering hires just because mm. the pool is very small. But some of the very best talent we've ever hired have been women engineers, people of color. Sure. Wow. Well, to uh, optimists like me about Portland and the market. Yeah. So I appreciate both of you being on. So thanks so much. Thank you. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 